Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that reminder. Because we know the storms will come. But we also know for those who are in Christ Jesus, we are anchored to the solid rock. And so we thank you for your power, your majesty, your glory, your love, your grace. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth, you have set your glory above the heavens. Through the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise that your enemies might be defeated and silenced. Oh God, you are an amazing God. Take us into the heart of your love for us today through your word, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, I would um, not be honoring requests that I had received from people I visited if I did not bring greetings to you from those who love you and are not here and you love. And uh, so from uh, the Don and Rachel Sayers and their family in Cape Town, South Africa, uh, they send their love to Calvary Church and uh, their church, Bible Church of Cape Town as well. I'm so grateful that they're there and that we support them and all that's going on there. They are very active in that church. I had opportunity to preach there and, and bring your love to them. And uh, so we have friends all over the world. And also, not that I'm a competitive type or anything, Shane, but these people know. Um, not that I want to one-up you on leaving for church early, but I, I think I can. Um, from the other group that I want to bring you greetings from, we left for church. We got up for church at 3.30 a.m. to leave at 4 o'clock in the morning to make a six-hour trek to church. Uh, simply because an axle broke on a truck and we had to wait and so we got up to go Sunday morning. We had to go Sunday morning because the guy driving the truck was preaching in the church that we needed to get to. So. So we got up and left at 4 o'clock in the morning, got pulled over by the police and fined as usual in Tanzania because that's the way it is. It's a bribe or a fine, one or the other. And um, so two hours on Blacktop Road and then three and a half hours becoming a human milkshake before you get to church. <laughs> it was a bobblehead journey. And um, I learned something about Mrs. Baker. And that is this, that she could go six hours in a vehicle without having to have a bathroom stop. <laughs> so that's never happened before. And it was simply because there are no facilities on the journey that are girl-friendly, let's put it that way. So anyway, um, now I'm going to hold her to it uh, from now on. I know, I know we can take longer journeys without stops. Anyway, greetings from Gray and Sarah and their family, and uh, from, in particular as well, their little Assemblies of God um, Mission Station Church of six adults and a number of little children who run around through the whole service. And um, 
different, different setup, but wonderful. And they're holding forth the truth in a place that's not sympathetic to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they thank you so much for your love and they send their love to you. Well, um, we're starting a new series this fall and um, I was thinking about what we should be doing in this fall and winter and uh, sort of in a- analyzing, looking at our culture, what would be, what would be most appropriate. And I started to think about the fact that we live in a rights-crazy world. Have you noticed? There, there's rights for everything. There's human rights, there's gay rights, there's tree rights, there's animal rights, there's sea turtle rights. There, there's, there's just no end of the rights that are foisted upon us. And um, as I was thinking about human nature, there are two fatal flaws of humanity that have been recorded down through history and that are really exaggerated in these postmodern times. And the one is this, the natural gravitation of humans to worship the created things. The Apostle Paul draws attention to that in Romans chapter 1. And uh, we see that all around us, that people are actually worshiping the things that are created. We, that's not new to us. And the, the second of, of these fatal flaws is the depraved instinct to determine what is right by conversation. And, and that isn't new either. It began in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 where Eve and Satan had a conversation about what is good and what is right and what did God say and did God really say. And, and, and it's, it's become exaggerated in our postmodern times to the place where is there really God and do we really care if God has said anything anyway? And so um, good and right, I think we should agree, is not a democratic conversation. What is good and right has been revealed to us by a creator God who has given us his revelation, the maker of all things that are good and right. Now, human rights and the various litany of rights, um, obviously, many of them are based on God's objective morality, and that's a good thing. But I think you'll also note that What is happening to our culture now is that rights have become a code for a subjective independence from God and and, and a desire for humans to exclude God from their lives and determine their own rights and their own independence and however they want to live is right for them. So I thought it might be important for us to sort of come back to the core values of what is right and who has rights, and one of the rights that I, one of the adjectives that I haven't noticed in front of rights is God's rights. Have any of you heard any conversations out there when we're talking about various rights? Has anyone stood up and said, wait a minute, what about God's rights? And so I thought um, it would be good for us to examine and explore all the ways that God has the right to be Lord of our lives and to make sure that we, there's no stone unturned in our lives in any area of God's Lordship. Because if we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, Christ our Savior, you can't fully follow the Lord unless Christ is also our Lord. 
And so we're going to talk about the lordship of Jesus Christ, who, by the way, has given us rank and roles and responsibilities. And um, we're going to look at those. So in a human rights crazy time, our place in the world, according to the psalmist, starts right here. By gazing at the grandeur and greatness of God. This morning, if you noticed, we've circled around and even had addressed Psalm 8. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn there with me. Psalm 8, in a human rights crazy time, our place in the world starts by gazing at the grandeur and greatness of our ruler, Lord. Now, interestingly, if you've ever tracked through the Psalms, Psalm 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, David is lamenting for, for the, all of those psalms, he's lamenting, oh God, where are you? Oh God, help me. God, help me. My enemies are encompassing me. Uh, I'm afraid. And, and, and from psalm, psalm after psalm, David is just crying out to the Lord in this building crescendo of laments. And then you get to Psalm 8, and all of a sudden, David breaks into, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's a complete switch. He visits Mount Perspective and gets a fresh glimpse of the greatness of God, and that's where we want to go. That's where we need to go this fall. That's where I need to go. I need to see the greatness of God. It's interesting that, of course, in our, our English uh, rendering of this psalm, we don't really see the full color of what David actually declared. He really says here, Oh, Yahweh. Or, Oh, I am. Our Adonai. Oh, Yahweh, our Adonai. When, whenever you see in the Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is the the name of God, it's, it's actually his name that he gave to, to Moses. Moses said, well, who should I say sent me? Uh, what, what should I say to the people sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Yahweh's my name. Rick's my name. Yahweh's his name. So David addresses him in his name. Oh, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, self-existent, God, who has revealed himself to humanity as the I am, the great I am. I exist and always have existed. I am who I am. That this great God would commit himself to be in covenant with people right from the beginning of this psalm is mind-boggling. And then he says, our Lord, our Adonai, the God who connects himself to us, but he's our Lord, he's ours. He's not some distant God who has very little interest in us. He's our God, he's our Lord. The other idol gods that were all around David and the Egyptians and the Babylonians or whoever, whatever nation, that were their gods, but this is our God, our Lord. And it says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All of the other nations around, their gods stopped at the border. With the Egyptian gods at the border of Egypt, the gods 
was finished, that the Babylonian gods, the Babylonian gods were the regional tribal gods. But David says, this isn't who our God is. This isn't who the God of the universe is. He's not a tribal God. He's an international God. He has no borders. He is the God of the whole world. This was his perspective on who God is. And as he launches himself into this writing of the majesty of God, and the word majestic means how wide, how great, how noble, how high is God. And so, of course, the theme of the psalm is obvious. Verse 1 and verse 9 are the very same. The theme of this psalm is, really jumps out at you. It's about the majesty of the name of God and who he is. But the psalmist goes on to answer the question, Lord, tell us, show us just how majestic is your name, O Lord. And so I want to spend the rest of our time this morning painting that picture for you from this psalm. So just how majestic is Yahweh? How great is the international Adonai, our God? Just when we are being captivated by the magnitude and majesty of God and how great and powerful and amazing he is, we're thrown kind of a curveball here because all of a sudden David launches us into this idea from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. What? We've gone from the glory and greatness and splendor and immensity of God who has set his glory or his weightiness, his essence above the heavens. Of course, clearly David is, 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 is declaring here a, uh, what we would call a polemic against the, the, the nations around him who, whose gods are the sun or the moon or whatever. He says, oh, the, God of, the God who truly is his glory is above the heavens. This God, who we're introduced to here, who we think in big terms, all of a sudden we're brought to the lowliest of human state. Toddlers and sucklings, those infants, human infants who are still totally dependent upon their mother. Of all of God's creation, human babies are perhaps the most feeble and frail, the most dependent. And so we are immediately thrown into this place of, uh, of surprised by the rights that Almighty God gives to toddlers and sucklings. He ordains them to praise Him in order to defeat his enemies. So awesome and so great is God that he can use the praise of the nursery to defeat the most powerful of all his enemies. Wow. Wow. We're really caught off guard by that. The critics and the enemies of God are silenced by the gurgling out of our nursery here at Calvary Baptist Church? Yes! That's what this is declaring. That's what, who our God is. God is so majestic that he can stop the most powerful of enemies with the weakest state of human life. There's a fascinating New Testament example. Would you come with me for a moment to Matthew chapter 21? 
you know it as the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. It's when he came into Jerusalem that week, that final week leading to his crucifixion that brought us salvation. And everything up until that point had pointed to Jesus as the promised Messiah. And every detail that, has, that was laid out in prophecy was being fulfilled one after another. And so the writer of Matthew remarks that, that, that as Christ came into Jerusalem, he is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, riding on a donkey. Say to the daughter of Zion, verse 5, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then uh, we read down a little bit further and we see that Jesus enters the temple and he clears the temple of the clutter of dishonest commerce. Those people who would use God to cheat people. That still happens. And we notice that there's this response from the crowd who are recognizing Jesus as promised Messiah, calling him Hosanna to the son of David, a declaration of royalty. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But within that crowd, there are enemies of Jesus Christ. And they happen to notice that in the group calling out to Jesus, recognizing him as Messiah, are little children. And they ask Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Do you hear what these children are singing? Do you hear what these children are thinking and believing? That same question is asked over and over again in the education classrooms of this province of our little children. Do you hear what they are saying? Do you hear what they are believing? Do you hear what they are thinking? Children who think that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth, And Jesus answers the question this way. Yes, I hear them. And then he says this to those who would challenge the faith of little children declaring the praises of God. Have you not read Psalm 8? The living God has purposed to ordain the praises of God through the lips of toddlers and sucklings who would silence and defeat the enemies of God with their praises and their proclamation and their singing. Jesus, the Son of God, stands before those who would heckle the children and defends them as God's mighty army ordained to bring him praise.
Jesus turns the attention of the wise and the strong and the arrogant to the lyrics of the infants. And what's more, by receiving the praise of the little children, Jesus declared himself the recipient of that praise. It is right for the children to praise Messiah Jesus and declare him God Almighty. The critics of Christ were silenced by the claims of the children. When I opened my bulletin up, I saw this card, Sunday Serve, a way to share yourself and your heart to God, for God with the kids in Faithland. Sign up to commit yourself to teaching the babies and the toddlers and the twos and the threes and the fours and the fives and the sixes. Where can I sign up? This is God's army. These are the ones that God has made to praise him and has ordained praise that they might silence and defeat the enemies of God. God cares about our joy preschool. He cares about our faith land. He cares about our summer children ministries. He cares about our nursery where gurgling babes in there are silencing right now the enemies of Almighty God. I had some grandchildren time this summer, which was phenomenal. And I noted how my little Lukamai, who's five, his entire worldview is steadfast on God. For him, it's not if God. God is already a given to him. Everything is explained by God to him. But he constantly was asking me questions about God. That's his whole life. Babu, he says to me, calls me Babu. It's Swahili for grandfather. Babu, why did God make scorpions to sting people? Babu, why, does, why are crocodiles so mean? It's not if there's a God, it's just why. What's God's purpose in what he has done? Because he has so many rules and restrictions. Do not turn over any rocks because there's scorpions under every rocks there. Do not go down to the river and jump in the river because there's crocodiles in that river. So why did God make them? His whole worldview is this settled faith. And, and it didn't matter if there's a crowd of people or wherever we were, a restaurant or wherever we were, he would just ask me questions about God. And, and, and I realized that, that people who were standing beside us, if they could hear what we were talking about, if they had doubts about God, they were being shamed by the settled and committed faith of a five-year-old. They're being defeated by, by their, their, their intelligence was being put to shame by a five-year-old who had already settled that the God of creation was in charge of all things. The praise of infants is a shame on those who refuse the obvious or resist it or reject it. So run to Pastor Calvin today. Sign up to, to, to mobilize and, 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 and uh, encourage and equip this mighty force of little voices that we have here. 
to proclaim the greatness of God. Perhaps that's why Satan is so at war with babies. Because God has ordained praise through the lips of those who just gurgle. God doesn't need the strong. He uses our weaknesses to call attention to his strength and his power. That's how great he is. But then David um, re- reminded himself of his days as a shepherd when he would lay out in the fields and look up into the sky at night. When I consider your heavens, he says, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Who am I that you are mindful of me? Who What is mankind that you should care about him, the son of man? Well, when David laid out in the skies, you know, um, under the the skies, something that if you live in the GTA, you don't get to see very much because we have so much light pollution here. But if you go up to Muskoka Baptist Conference or Bible Camp or whatever they call it now, that's the sky that you see, courtesy of photography, courtesy of Dr. Scott Martin. Look at God's creation. You, you, you look at it and you be, become very small and the immensity of God challenges your heart. There's a, the next picture shows a, 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 an exclamation mark over Mary Lake of God's stars and the wonder and the awesomeness of his creation. David was looking at this when he was thinking about God and saying, your glory is above and beyond that. The extreme of that. Nassau has produced a picture uh, of the visible universe. The white in here is, is, is uh, uh, the Milky Way and, and what you can't see because the Milky, our own galaxy is in the way. But this is the visible galaxy to humankind. This is the best we can do with the instruments that we have. And in, in the reality, our own sun, uh, 960,000 Earths can fit in that sun. Now, I did a lot of traveling around the Earth. I can't even imagine. 960,000 Earths can fit in our sun. And our sun is a speck in the universe. Our sun is one star in a galaxy whereby there are 43,000 visible galaxies in the universe. The the span of that, the universe, is 2.2 to the power of 20 or 20 zeros. Your mind can't even comprehend the immensity of the universe that David says is God's finger work. God decided one day to do a finger painting. And this was it. And he set them in place generations ago. And the Big Dipper is the Big Dipper today. It was the Big Dipper when David was around. The moon still circulates in the same seasonal circulation as it always did. Generations of humans come and go. But the things that God has set in place remain steadfast. Because our God has established it. And by the way, he set this in place for us. We are the center of his attention. David says, what is man that you are mindful? In, in the reality of those pictures, we are a speck of a speck. 
And today, right now, God remembers each of us. He remembers us, and it says, who is the son of man that you would care for him? He remembers us in in such a way as to actually extend care toward us. The stars and the moon and the sun are not to be worshipped. Our great God is over them and has placed them for us. These things did not evolve by some sort of cataclysmic smash and man evolved. It says, and you have made man ruler over your creation. God knows nothing of evolution. My five-year-old knows nothing of evolution. Because God has made all of this and set it in place for us. When you consider the magnitude of his creation is completely bewildering that he would want to hang around with us. But this is a planned home for his family. And he has given us rank. He's made us a little lower than the heavenly beings, a little lower than the angels, and crowned us with glory and honor. Imagine the God who can finger paint the universe into existence deigns to give us honor and glory. What do we have to be honored about? He honors us with his image. He gives us his glory. He has made us special. He has made us here, it says, for a little while, just slightly lower than the angels and immensely higher than the animals. They are not some sort of byproduct evolution, the last in the stage of evolution from animals. We're not barely over the animal kingdom. We rule over the animal kingdom. He has made us immensely higher than the animals. He has made us as the connection between heaven and earth. The animals have no spirit, they have bodies. The angels have no bodies, they have spirit. We have both. We are the connection between heaven and earth. We are a special creation. Our our little children need to know that. They're not random or accidents. They are a special creation of God made to worship him and honor him and know him. The greatness of a God who can do all of this and deigns to love us. I say God has rights. God's rights. God's rights. God's rights. We have a role. We've been made vice regents to manage God's creative masterpiece. The definition of, to me of absurd audacity is that most people would reject the offer of God's friendship. The, the vast majority of humankind turns their back on all of this evidence and all of this offer of grace and love. It's absurd. It's distressing. To be invited to serve on mission and in covenant with this God 
who would commit himself to us to remember us and care for us and to say, no, thank you. I, I don't want that. I don't need that. To reject that, to turn our back on that. It's absurd audacity to prefer to have our own rights, our godless ways of life. All the flocks and the herds and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of seas are yours, God says. I made them for you. Our Lord is the God whose glory and majesty fills the earth and is set above the heavens. I have this glimpse, uh, I have this um, picture in my mind in terms of contrast of the Isaiah 6-3 where, where the um, angels right now are shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. They're shouting these powerful beings that are slightly above us, shouting so loudly that the heavens, it says, shake, contrasted against the gurgling of the little babies in our nursery who have been ordained to praise God this morning as well. From the greatest to the least, God will be praised and is being praised right now. So great is God, so great is his majesty, and this God gives to mankind the only right that really matters, the right to be called children of God. That's the right I want. I put, take all of the other rights. There's only one right I want. I want the right to be called a child of God. It says to all who've received him instead of rejecting him, to all who believe in his name, which means the essence of who Christ is and all he's claimed to be rather than reject that truth. He gave the right to be called the children of God. That's who we are. This great God who has created all these things, who spun the universe into existence, a universe that is beyond comprehension, cares so much about us that he gives us the right to come into his family and be able to call him daddy, father, the one who loves me, the one who's brought me into his family and cares for me. That's what captivated David's attention. That's what turned him from lament to praise and proclamation. And so, Calvary, as we move forward into this fall, it's about God's rights. The one who has given us the right to be called the children of God. There is no greater right that exists under heaven than to be called a child of God of God, and I hope that's your status today. If you receive him, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, he will give you the right to be called a child of God. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for your majesty. Oh, God, we offer ourselves to you in a fresh, new way 
to serve the lordship of God in our lives. So have our lives, O Lord, and use them for your honor and glory, I pray. Amen. When the disciple Jesus loved, his name was John, was trying to get his mind wrapped around the definition of love, he said, how great is the love of the, the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And then he was almost swept up, I think, as he wrote, and that's what we are, the children of God. If that doesn't strengthen your heart, I'm not sure what will. So Calvary Baptist Church, as we move into this great fall ahead of us, let's remember our right, the right to be called the children of God. That's what we are. If you are, if you are here this morning, you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, the promise is this, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to be called the children of God. Right where you are today, you could respond to his offer of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you today for all that you've done for us. We thank you for this great time to worship you and to praise you and to hear from you, to be strengthened by your word and by your spirit. Oh God, I pray that you'll bring us back tonight as we continue this great day of worship to lift up to you praises that rightfully belong to you. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.